Chicago Bears fifth round pick Noah Sewell is more than just a recognizable football last name. He has real potential to develop into a starting caliber linebacker in the NFL. You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Bears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Locked On Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Locked On Bears your first listen today. Thank you for making it your first listen every day. We love our everydayers here on Locked On Podcast Network because we are your team every day. And on the show today, we'll take advantage of one of our other Locked On Podcast Network hosts as Spencer McLaughlin from Locked On Ducks is going to join us to break down Chicago Bears fifth round linebacker Noah Sewell. We'll understand more about his recruiting process as one of the top high school linebacker prospects in the nation coming into college at Oregon. We'll learn about how he was so successful so quickly for the Ducks. And then coaching staff change and other issues, and all of a sudden, his junior season, the production drops off, and he ends up falling all the way to the Chicago Bears in the fifth round. And of course, we'll project ahead to what his NFL career could look like from here. And I also want to come back after that interview and talk a little bit more about the depth at the linebacker position and and the need to make sure that things are steady there despite all of the free agent money the Bears spent at that position this year. But first, let's get into our interview here and take advantage of some great knowledge we have here with our local experts on the Oregon Ducks. Joining us now on the Locked On Bears podcast is Spencer McLaughlin. He is the host of Locked On Oregon Ducks here at the Locked On Podcast Network, as well as Locked On Pac-12, and you can follow him on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55. Spencer, appreciate you joining us. Uh, How was draft weekend for you from an Oregon perspective? No, uh, it's great to be with you, Lauren. And it was it was good. You know, there were a couple surprises for sure. Uh, Noah Sewell was definitely not one of them, but Jordan Riley ended up getting drafted. Don't know that I saw that one coming. And DJ Johnson went in the third round to the Chargers. I thought that was very, I mean, I mean, very high. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been drafted. I thought he'd be like a fifth, sixth, maybe seventh round flyer. And then he went in the third and we're like, well, I mean, he had some really good moments, but it was not, you know, consistent production from happy for DJ, of course, and hope he he has a great career. He's a great duck, but yeah, draft season was, uh, was an exciting one. Gonzo, of course, fell further than we were uh, anticipating after all the pre-draft hype, but that's what, that's what makes the draft so much fun is you never really, really know. Yeah, what what did you expect for for Noah Sewell in particular? You know, when I think he opted out of the bowl game this year, but when when the season ended and when he declared for the NFL draft, where did you think he was gonna go? And and I guess how did the fifth round sort of match or not match those expectations? Yeah, I thought that was kind of the lower end of where I thought he he would go. I think I said on my podcast a couple of times I figured he'd be kind of like third to fifth round. I, I think he's someone who, if he'd been coming out of the draft maybe a year and a half ago it would have been closer to the second or or third round for kind of where my expectations were and where he ended up going. But I, I think the fifth round, based on what he did this year, is probably about right. Um, I think he could have been a fourth round guy, but I, I think he's someone who has got a lot 
of potential and and brings a lot of upside and was a very good player in college but as we'll talk about does did show a few limitations not a lot uh oregon fans overblow it a bit in 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 my view but did show a few limitations this this past season in which he was only second team all pack 12 that was a down year i'm not i'm not kidding you lauren he he's second team this is the standard that he set from the time he came in as a five-star true freshman one of oregon's five highest rated recruits in program history yeah. He had a second-team All-Pac-12 caliber season. He was nominated to that in 2022. And the consensus amongst Oregon fans is that he was no good and he had his worst worst season as a duck. So that's kind of where the bar is. You know, it's like the opposite of the Oakland A's. It's like we're Billy Bean and Moneyball. It's like, that's my bar up here, right? My bar is a championship. Well, Noah Sewell's bar in the eyes of Oregon fans was really, really high. And he lived up to that at times. He did not at others, but overall was a really, really good player for three years for the Ducks. Yeah, since you mentioned, let's let's go back to the recruiting there. I know he was like one of the top linebackers in the country, a five-star yep. recruit. What, what do you remember about that process and, and how big of a role do you think his older brother played in getting him to Oregon? I think it was pretty significant because Panay was not just at Oregon, he was thriving at Oregon. And so that relationship with Mario Cristobal and the family was really, really close because Mario as an offensive line guy, first and foremost, as a former offensive lineman at Miami, he had almost certainly, I didn't host Locked on Ducks at the time, but I uh, since surmised a thing or two about uh, recruiting since getting into this wonderful world, Mario had a relationship with the Sewell family and so did the University of Oregon so then when Noah was coming out I think even though he was an offensive lineman I think there was a kind of a next level of knowledge and familiarity with with what Mario Cristobal did for for his program and what the University of Oregon could provide and you know of course Oregon's been a very good team the last several years and Noah Sewell was was a part of that and he became a part of continuing to make them a really strong college football brand so you know, he, he was someone who came in with a lot of expectations. And that true freshman year was was the COVID shortened season. And, you know, it, it sucks that we didn't get a full a full look at a, a fully healthy true freshman, Noah Sewell. We just got to see a few games of it because Oregon played. I think it was I think they ended up playing seven games that year or something. like I don't know. It was all weird. But um, he, he was outside of on Thibodeau, the best defensive player on the field. The moment he stepped on campus, it was like he was saving Oregon's defense at times. He was, you know, an orchestrator, a field general as a true freshman. He was really, really impressive from the moment he got to Oregon's campus. Yeah, I know he particularly thrived in those first couple of years under Mario Cristobal. Like, and, and so the numbers in 2021 were, were incredible. Like, what did that what did that look like? Why did it like why do you think it was he was able to be so successful? But what made him so good? In that defense. I think it, I think his anticipation was always really good, but he does have the physical tools and the size. You know, he's he, he's a he's a powerful kind of a one cut backer for sure, a little bit like a running back as well. Where you know he's going to work downhill. He's not the most agile. He's not the quickest, but his straight line speed when he's fully healthy is really really good. So he can play sideline to sideline, and he he plays with alacrity. He is tenacious, and he he's just big. I mean, I look at him as an NFL prospect and say, that's a guy who can be a run stuffing linebacker. I think that's certainly a specialty. He's better in coverage than Oregon fans generally will give him credit for, but he did certainly have his moments in that sense. I felt that, you know, the, the perceived decline in coverage was as much about the defensive scheme that Oregon was running and the play calling, you know, that being new and uh, the defense just having some questionable moments from a play calling standpoint, generally 
generally speaking. But when you put Noah Sewell in situations to succeed, when you put him in situations that he is comfortable with and give him plays that he's capable of making, he is somebody who can be a really, really good football player. And Oregon had that the last several years. This episode of Locked On Bears is brought to you by Built Bar, the world's best tasting protein bars. And I just got a fresh box of Built Bars delivered to my house literally today. The raspberry flavor is one of my favorites because you get that like fruit sweetness in there and all combined with that candy bar taste that every Built Bar has. It's covered in 100% real chocolate. It's soft and it's easy to chew, but somehow it's also good for you. Built Bars are low sugar, low calories, high fiber, and high protein. We're talking 17 grams of protein for just 130 calories and four grams of sugar. I mean, you can't find another protein bar product like this anywhere that also then tastes this good. You can see all of their amazing flavors at built.com or you can go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club and get them even sooner in person. If you head over near the pharmacy section in Walmart where they've got the protein bars, you can get a four bar box of their cookies and cream bars, their double chocolate bars, or their coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, you can run in and grab a 13 bar box with their hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. Those are two of my favorites. If you can get to a Sam's Club and try those, Tasting is believing, and trust me, you'll take a bite, and you'll thank me later. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin, host of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And Spencer, what, I mean, obviously, what what changed between Cristobal and then when he leaves and Dan Lanning comes in? What changed defensively? I mean, you mentioned, I think, some play calling and scheme stuff there. We saw Sewell's production drop pretty significantly to his, his final season there, the, the junior year. What, what was what was so different? You know, it, it's hard to say exactly because Oregon was running, I believe, the same base personnel, which was a 4-2-5, and Noah Sewell was a part of that. And, you know, it, it was just kind of the way the defense w- w- was called. You know, I felt like there were times where Noah Sewell was just being asked to essentially be in kind of bailout coverage, right, where essentially, you know, Oregon would run – they ran way too much cover to sink this past year, which for those who don't know, you have two ice safeties and a middle linebacker, often Noah Sewell, who drops back to the middle of the field because your safeties tend to split and kind of leave that void down the middle. But then it gives openings underneath, and teams took that against Oregon quite a bit uh, while also beating Oregon over the top when they ran that that particular coverage. And you know, a frustration that many fans, and myself included, felt over this past year was the defense never felt like they had the full trust of the coaching staff, which makes some sense because it was a new coaching staff, right? And they didn't have all their players in place, but it felt like they were trying to protect them far too often and not letting them, you know, play press coverage and sitting off on, you know, third and eight or third and 14 or whatever, playing soft zone, allowing a long completion and either getting it to fourth and short or just allowing the first down. So uh, we, we were definitely frustrated with that, and I, I don't take away from you know how I perceive Noah Sewell, who was also battling an injury this year. That's part of the reason I think the production dropped off. He didn't have as many impact plays as he did in uh, the, in the prior two seasons that he had with, with the Ducks. But if he gets back to being fully healthy, he he's a really good middle linebacker, and he's someone who is not going to get pushed around. You know, uh, from from an offensive line standpoint, he's not someone who you climb up to the second level and suddenly you can you know go put him on his butt like that. That's just not something that uh, he he's going to let you do very often. And when he anticipates a run, reads it and diagnoses it correctly, trusts his instinct. 
he's going to get in there and make the tackle as well because he doesn't miss those very often. He's also a guy who's a good blitzer too. So I, I think his upside is still very real. He can be a starting or rotation caliber player for the Bears as a rookie and can certainly develop into one of their starting linebackers going forward. You mentioned the blitzing there briefly. I wanted to get to that. What, what, do you, what how would you describe him as a pass rusher? Like I, I know they'd put him on the edge, like uh, occasionally, but certainly never a full time guy there. What, what made him effective when they did ask him to do that? He's powerful. I mean, he, he's he's just a powerful guy. You know, I question uh, at, at points during last season with the lack of production Oregon was really getting from their linebackers and the lack of production they were consistently getting from the edge position, where you know they were playing essentially a defensive tackle, Brandon Dorless. Uh, a name to definitely watch in the 2024 NFL draft. They were taking Dorless and putting him at defensive end because he could win one-on-ones and they didn't have enough other guys that could win one-on-ones. DJ Johnson was good in spurts. He led Oregon with six sacks a season ago, but DJ Johnson, you know, was either getting a sack or it felt like he wasn't ever generating a pressure. Uh, he, he was not consistent in that sense, but then sometimes you know, Lanning and Lupoy would get very creative with their blitz packages and they love simulated pressures and whatnot. And they use the linebackers in a variety of ways like that. And every time they lined up Noah Sewell at the edge position, he could just bull rush an offensive tackle. I mean, he, he's got that sort of explosiveness coming off the ball. He's got that sort of strength in his upper body. He's, a, he's very much a guy who's ready to play at the NFL level. And he was really good as a pass rusher. So they blitzed him you know, about as often as, as they could. And I, I legitimately question at times whether or not they should just take Noah Sewell and just move him down to edge, both because like, hey, something's not clicking here with the linebackers and there's a disconnect with the system and whatnot. But also Sewell looks like he can just come off the edge all the time and it's an outside linebacker position anyway. So I, I think he's somebody who, if you send him to the quarterback, he knows how to get pressure in that sense. He knows what he wants to do once he gets in there. But he's also got enough mobility to where if you wanted to send him on a fake pressure and have him be a quarterback spy to kind of draw an offensive lineman away and create lanes for uh, other pass rushers, I think that's something that he's capable of doing as well. I don't think he can keep up with, you know, a Kyler Murray or a Lamar Jackson or, uh, I mean, the good news for the Bears, you got Kirk Cousins in your division. Anybody can keep up with Kirk Cousins. (laughs) But, like, he's not going to... Uh, you know, necessarily have the agility to keep up with a Justin Fields. Straight line speed, though, once he gets going, I, I think he can, you know, beat those guys to the sideline or, uh, you know, cut off a, a, an angle when when they're in pursuit, something like that. But, yeah, as, as a blitzer, you know, he's he, he's comfortable coming up the middle, but he can come off the edge as well, and, and he can give you a, a real presence out there. How would you describe that that mobility? I, I think there's this perception that maybe he – I think we have this this, like – this archetype in her head of like, oh, well, if you're like a downhill run defender guy, then you're you're you tend to be slow, especially if he's somebody who's not, you know, a, a, you know, elite in coverage in that way. But like, it doesn't seem like he's like is is slow too strong of a description there. I mean, he, he didn't test like an elite athlete, but he didn't test like a bum either. I, I, how, how was that in college? And I guess how do you think that mobility will translate in the NFL? Felt like he slowed down as his career went on, especially this past year, again, when it came out after the season that. He'd been battling an injury. That made a lot of sense because I think if you look at the tape from his first year or two and you look at the tape from last year, the first couple seasons, especially his true freshman year, are going to show a guy who was much more rangy, who did a lot more sideline to sideline stuff, who was just everywhere all the time. And then in 2022, he was relatively quiet compared to the standard that he'd set in the early portion of his career with, with the Ducks. So if you get him back healthy, 
I think you have a guy who's got more coverage potential. Did have a few interceptions in in his career. There's this great play he made. Uh, I, w- I was at the game, so I remember it really well. On on Cam Rising in 2021, who was a first team All Pac 12 quarterback that year, and he played the zone coverage just absolutely flawlessly. Where it was an all slants concept, two on uh, two on each side. Oregon was in zone coverage. Sewell had a, a middle of the field assignment. And the first guy goes, he covers him, but then he passes him off to the next guy, reads Cam Rising's eyes, who saw Sewell go with him, but then he came off of it, right? Sewell was saying, like, I'm here, but then he knew when to break off, and then he broke back on the other slant. Rising didn't see him. He cut underneath it and intercepted the ball. That's what Noah Sewell is at his best, an instinctual, explosive player who understands the game and has high-level physical traits. And I think if he can get back to being fully healthy like that that 40 time he ran well i think it was like four seven four, so, six, some, four. yeah yeah four six four he at his fastest is a guy who's closer to four five i i mean he he is like that was much slow that was the first indication to me of like okay something's off here because he's not a like when he when he came out of of high school I'm pretty sure his 40 time was closer to to four or five. And at 260 pounds, they just don't make a lot of guys like that. So I think if you get him back to full strength and uh, get him acclimated quickly to the defensive system, he'll be just fine. So like, where do you sort of see his his limitations moving to the NFL or like where where he needs to grow in order to become a potential, you know, if he's going to become a starting player down the line, what, what does he need to do? Uh, I think man-to-man coverage is is the, the spot where he can uh, most improve. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the zone coverage that, that that he's got, the zone abilities there. I, I think he, um, I, I think he does have enough uh, right now to say that's not you know a weakness or a big area for growth. But I think man-to-man coverage, uh, you know, getting a little bit more agile. Uh, I, I'm not entirely certain how NFL coaches can can work on that sort of stuff, but if they can, I think it would be worthwhile for him. Just because you've got these tight ends now, George Kittle, Kyle Pitts, and you know, just keep going down the list. These guys are twitchy, right? They're really, really freak athletes. And that that's something that I, I think right now he would, you know, do just all right. at. If you put him in man-to-man coverage there, you'd probably be best to have a, a safety helping him out. But guy's a good tackler. Guy's a good run stuffer. He's physical, good pass rusher. I, I'd say coverage is the area where he, he can improve the most, particularly if he's just, you know, matched up uh, with, with with a tight end or or a running back coming out of the backfield. Yeah, most linebackers struggle one-on-one in man coverage with those guys anyway, so it's not a, not a, great, not a bar <laughs> yeah, to have to true. hold them to. But, Spencer, you don't struggle talking about Oregon Ducks or any Pac-12 here on the Podcast Network. Really appreciate you joining us today to talk about Noah Sewell. Uh, let everybody know where they can find your work if they want to get more of your Oregon coverage or certainly if they look back for previous stuff on Sewell or other Ducks in the past. Yeah, so Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12, both shows I host Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55. You can shoot me a note anytime on there, DMs and mentions wide open. And like you said, Lauren, always love talking about uh, some future products. And I'm I'm stoked for Sewell to be uh, in in a franchise and organization that uh, places a high value on defense. And I, I think he'll have a chance to to have a good career with with the Bears. And I'm I'm stoked to watch it play out. We we've, we've been ready to talk about him in Eugene uh, with with regards to what his NFL career could be for several years, basically since he arrived on on campus or whatnot. So we're we're definitely excited to watch it play out and. If, if he hits his full potential here, the Bears will look back and say, boy, we got a steal in the fifth round. Excellent, Spencer. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, anytime.
Thanks again to Spencer McLaughlin from Locked on Ducks for joining us on the podcast today. But I want to take a step back now and look more broadly at the completely revamped linebacker position of the Chicago Bears that Noah Sewell comes in and kind of, you know, adds that final piece, that that one more young developmental player to go with, you know, the two veterans that they signed in free agency. Plus, actually, they signed a third one, Dylan Cole from the Tennessee Titans. Because I remember last season, you know, once the Bears traded away Roquan Smith, we knew certainly that the linebacker position would, would take a hit and that there would be, you know, a, a drop-off in talent there. Sanborn comes in and plays really, really well, unexpectedly well. I think we thought, we thought he had some potential, but maybe we didn't think he'd be that as great as he was. But then, you know, after a few games or so, Sanborn got hurt and ended up on injured reserve. And you might remember early on, Matthew Adams was injured and was spent, I think, part of the season on short-term injured reserve as well. And the Bears were scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit at the linebacker position where Joe Thomas was having to play quite a few snaps as a potential starter. They brought in A.J. Klein, who they got in from the trade with for Rokon Smith from the Baltimore Ravens, and he was playing some snaps in there. And Sterling Weatherford was an undrafted free agent from the Colts that they had in there playing some snaps on defense. And it really was a kind of a smorgasbord of linebackers plus Nick Morrow trying to fill those spots. Obviously, the Bears won't have a Roquan Smith-sized hole added halfway through the season this year, but to me, it served as a good reminder that, hey, like depth matters and guys get hurt and, and you can't control that. You certainly hope they won't. But even as we feel like, OK, like Tremaine Edmonds is going to be a physical freak of a middle linebacker that's going to help us forget Roquan. What's his name <laughs> down the line? And of course, TJ Edwards, smart, instinctual, physical linebacker with some good, like some good consistency, good tackler there who can play downhill really well. Like the Bears linebacking core with those two in your nickel and plus Jack Sanborn coming in as your number third linebacker. You feel like that's going to be a pretty solid group, can be a, a strength of this Bears defense once again. But if somebody gets hurt, then then what happens, right? Okay, so if if Edmonds or Edwards gets hurt, Sanborn jumps in and whoever, fills whoever, whoever spot he he took there, whoever whoever be missing there. Okay, you're not you're not like panicking. You feel good about Sanborn being thrown in that spot. But like other than that. You've got Weatherford back from, from last year as an, a former undrafted free agent who got a few snaps. You've got who we just talked about, Noah Sewell, who we feel like, you know, has some real potential there, as we just heard from Spencer McLaughlin, could potentially develop into a starter sometime down the line. And then there's Dylan Cole, who came over from the Titans, who started some games in a pinch for them, but is primarily like known as a special teams ace. And that's a little bit more what he was brought in. He's kind of the new Matthew Adams. So you feel like, okay, there's... There's something there, but there's not a lot of like veteran proven backup experience. Like Cole is kind of that guy, but like he, before this, before 2022, he had started one game in his career. He started a handful of games this past season in relief and he's, you know, 28 or about to turn 29 just next week as I, as I look on the calendar now. So like, is he enough? Like, do we trust that between, between Sanborn and, and Cole and maybe the rookie upside of, of Noah Sewell that, if, if you had an injury or even two potentially at linebacker, are, are you prepared for that? Not with guys that you think are instant starting caliber starter quality players, because you can't have all your backups all be starting quality players, but you want to be prepared with depth and, and evaluate that level of confidence. Or do you feel like, you know, is there a need to add just a little bit something more there? Like if your six linebackers are Edmonds, Edwards, Sanborn, and then Cole Sewell Weatherford, is that 
Is that enough? I mean, they have Demarcus Gates back from last year, who was an undrafted free agent as well. And, you know, maybe in a pinch, your seventh round rookie, Kendall Williamson, could he play some like undersized athletic linebacker type role? I mean, Brisker even could step down and play an again, undersized, but like people will use the safety as like a dime linebacker role. It's not ideal, but in an emergency, could you get away with something like that? Like, I, I think so. And I, I don't know, after, after having the conversation with Spencer, I'm feeling a little bit better about Sewell's ability that I think we do get too bogged down in, in his struggles in 2022 and forget how good he was in 2021. And there's sort of a negative recency bias there. The thing we saw from him more recently was an inability to be as high impact of a player in a new defensive scheme, but presumably plugging him in in Chicago, you can simplify things for him a little bit more and, and have him focus on you know, more of a one position kind of task and not have to ask him to run all over and you can get something a little bit more reliable there. So like, I, I think I entered that interview with Spencer having some real questions about this linebacker depth and I exited feeling like, okay, between Dylan Cole being a good special teams player who can maybe fill in and be all right on, on defense and then Sewell having some upside there and Weatherford having a second year in the system certainly helps that you feel like you know, Sanborn can fill in for one of the big dogs if they if there's an injury there. And if Sanborn gets hurt, you know, one of these other guys could fill in for Sanborn. And you're like, all right, this this is starting to look like a fairly solid linebacking core. Like, it's not, you know, the deepest in the NFL, but it's, it's deep enough. Like, it checks, I think it checks the boxes there of feeling like, okay, this is a position group that you're good at the top, you're good in the middle, and you're good at the bottom. You can always improve at any position, but this depth seems to be in a pretty good position to hold up with Dylan Cole has at least enough special teams experience and has been around the NFL long enough where you feel like as far as backups with experience go, he's got enough in that range. And of course, Edwards and Edmonds can be the kind of like veteran leaders at the position since they'll be the starters anyway, that can set the example and be the role models for Sanborn, for Weatherford and for Noah Sewell. I mean, those guys too bring in some leadership traits of their own as far as like you start looking long-term because we think about the free agents coming in and, and you feel like, okay, you know, these are going to be guys that are long-term pieces of this Bears defense. And you certainly hope so. But it's important to keep in mind too, that the way the contracts are structured, the Bears are only locked into TJ Edwards for one year. After this year, they could get out, they could pretty easily release him and save a lot of money after, after one season. So like you hope he plays all three and plays well and earns every dollar of it. But if things go wrong, you could get out of Edwards' contract pretty quickly and replace them with replace him with a Sanborn or a Sewell if one of those guys was ready to step into that starting lineup. Tremaine Edmonds, you're locked into two years for sure, and then that third and fourth year is a little bit easier to get out of. So like, but the, but that's that's it. That's the nice thing about the flexibility in the contracts that Ryan Pohl signed these guys to. They're three and four year deals, or excuse me, five yeah three and four year deals for Ed, Edwards and Edmonds, but they're really only like one and two years guaranteed. And then beyond that, the Bears have some flexibility in those contracts. So they can be here a long time, or if the Bears want, they could be here a short time. And that flexibility gives you some options if something goes wrong where they struggle, or if some of these other younger players just start to play so well that you can't keep Sanborn on the bench, or you can't keep Sewell on the bench for that long because you want to get those guys in there and involved as young and developing players in this Bears defense. We'd love to hear what you think about this Bears linebacking core. Let us know in the comments here in the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel. You could tweet us at Lockdown Bears. You could post in the Lockdown Bears Facebook group as well to keep the conversation going there. However you do it, just make sure you subscribe to Lockdown Bears podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Really appreciate you making Lockdown Bears your first listen today and every day. 
We love our everydayers here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is your team every day. Coming back tomorrow as we keep breaking down these Bears draft picks and get us through into the offseason. We're not going anywhere throughout this offseason. We're still going to be here for you all summer long. Even when the Bears aren't doing much new and different when OTAs and training and training camp, like we're going to be here. We're going to be breaking it all down for you. So appreciate you tuning in. And I hope in exchange you get one more opportunity to bear down.